Next time you tee it up, grab the Callaway golf ball that tour players like John Rahm and Xander Shoffley play, Chrome Soft. There's Chrome Soft with soft feel, great distance, and short game control, and Callaway's most popular tour ball, Chrome Soft X, with workability plus amazing greenside action, so you've got options. Now with the new Chrome Soft XLS, Callaway's low spinning tour ball that delivers max distance off the tee, Chrome Soft isn't just better, it's better for everyone. Find your Chrome Soft at callawaygolf.ca. Hi, I'm Larissa Harrapin with Down to Business. With the federal election just around the corner, we're starting to see how the political parties are going to tackle this issue of Canadian home prices and housing affordability. Joining us to talk about whether the government can do anything on this is John Pasalis of Real Philosophy Realty. Hi, John. Thanks for uh, joining us. Doesn't the government have other issues to deal with, such as interest rates, support programs? Isn't housing better left to provincial and municipal governments? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think it really depends on the types of policies that we're talking about. Uh, Certainly, federal government plays a role when we're talking about uh, financing and underwriting of mortgages and CMHC policies. But certainly, when we talk about the supply side, um, you know, usually those tends to be provincial and municipal governments who have significantly more influence over those. Uh, Federal governments now are, are of course, trying to encourage uh, more supply in the housing market, trying to encourage provinces and municipalities to build more. Uh, But again, these tend to be more uh, provincial and municipal issues. John, I want to pick up on uh, a recent report that you had uh, published for Realosophy. In it, you suggest the one factor in Canadian housing our leaders won't talk about. (laughs) The the Liberal government has suggested they're going to raise the total number of immigrants to Canada each year to more than 420,000. What is at the heart of this supply and demand issue? Yeah, I mean, the, the immigration question is a very difficult one because, I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, I mean, the, the challenge with housing uh, is that our demand exceeds supply. And uh, a lot of the ex- rapid acceleration in house prices has actually happened under Trudeau's government and largely because immigration has boomed in Canada uh, since around 2015. So when, when we're letting in far more people than homes that we can build, uh, we're going to have rapid acceleration in house prices. So, you know, with the with the federal level government really wanting to accelerate, uh, you know, the immigration numbers and with our supply relatively constrained, uh, it's just potentially a recipe for just rapidly rising home prices in the future, regardless of what they do on the policy side. And I think that's one of the tensions that the federal policymakers should be talking about. Talk to us about what you've been hearing. Talk to us about what could work, what what won't work. Uh, There's the potential of an increase of a tax payable on flipped properties, banning non-resident foreign buyers. How about rent to own? How plausible is that one, John? I I think that's a tough one. I mean, I think it's a tough one to convince people to go with it. I mean, and I think that's the challenge with housing policy that there there is no silver bullet, right? Um, And a lot of the things that the policymakers are doing are probably... They're trying to do things that sound popular. I mean, the federal liberal government's plan to tax vacant homes on by non, owned by non-residents, for example, or foreign buyers, is something that sounds great on paper, but probably is going to have very little lift. Um, you know, and again, I think the key things 
really are thinking about it's both just trying to ease up demand a little bit, whether that's sort of bringing immigration numbers to a number that's historically normal uh, and not rapidly accelerating it. And potentially, you know, trying to ease up a little bit of the demand, perhaps from investors who are very, very dominant in our market and making it easier for home buyers to get into the market is what you could potentially do on the demand side. And then again, on the supply side, again, trying to encourage more development, especially of purpose-built rental housing. John, what are you seeing right now? I mean, we're right in the thick of summer. You're, you're probably looking right ahead into uh, fall. What does that picture look like in the medium to long term? Where do you ultimately see prices headed? You know, it's really interesting. I mean, because we tend to see on the ground what the fall market's going to look like, you know, in the summer. And right now it's looking like it's going to be a very, very busy market still. I mean, despite the high prices, uh, there's a lot of activity from buyers, a lot of interest from buyers trying to get back into the market. The rental market downtown is booming largely because uh, a lot of students are coming back to the city and, and need rental accommodations. So overall, the housing market's quite busy. I'm not expecting a rapid surge in prices. Prices have pretty much stabilized since January. You know, Even though we're up year over year, we're not accelerating on a month over month basis. And I think that's probably going to continue as we head into the fall market. So can we quote you as saying it's going to be a buyer's market in the fall, John, with the surge of new listings? No, not, (laughs) (laughs) not, you know, to be honest with you, that would be ideal because I think people want some of this pressure to come off, but I don't, I don't see that happening. I think we're, we're still such a low, low inventory level. It's probably going to be continue to be a seller's market. Even if we see more listings, I think it's just going to balance out the market and make it a little bit calmer, but still a seller's market. John, during the uh, pandemic, we saw the demand for housing move to uh, smaller markets, uh, to the suburban communities. Uh, curious to get your take on whether you think that model is going to reverse as uh, perhaps people are called back to work uh, and we are starting to see some signs of a, uh, a normal life. And, and I guess on the heels of that, was it sustainable uh, to, to be living in these suburban communities that perhaps may not have had the uh, infrastructure to, to support it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I, I mean, I think that's definitely one of the challenges we're going to see in the years ahead. And I think when we think about this big shift out of the out of the cities into these outer suburbs, I mean, the things that concern me the most is well, what if we start to see a shift back to the city, and what does it do to house prices in those communities? Right. I mean, when we look at volatility in housing markets, the the markets that tend to be hit the hardest are the ones that saw the most rapid appreciation in prices. And we look at the rapid appreciation of the past year, it has been in these small communities where prices went up 40%. So, you know, if those homeowners need to go back to the office, can't work from home and need to sell, what happens to prices? And if prices dip even 10, 15%, it's going to be a lot harder for those people to obviously take a loss to move back to the city. And I think that could potentially create some instability in the housing market over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. What is the data coming out of the uh, condo market? Do you think ultimately condos are going to uh, outpace and outperform that uh, traditional single family dwelling? It's uh, so right now, the condo market has been doing quite well. It's recovered quite well. Uh, I think whether it outperforms is going to largely be dependent on what happens with immigration numbers and number of non-permanent residents moving to Canada, because that's a big driver of rental demand. 
Um, so again, the, the federal government having their targets is one thing, but people actually moving here is a completely other matter. And with prices and rents as high as they are, uh, we'll have to see if that comes back. So if we're not getting the surge in non-permanent residents coming back, again, a lot of the demand right now is from students. Come September, October, that's going to cool down. So we're going to have to see how much demand there is for the condo rental market, because that's ultimately going to drive uh, prices in the future. John, there is this uh, expectation that the Bank of Canada uh, will hike their policy rate at least once in 2022. Mm-hmm. What's that domino effect? Yeah, I th- and I th- that's really interesting. And I think we're probably going to start to see and people are going to feel it more uh, because there has been a big shift to people moving towards variable rate mortgages over the past year, partly because the difference between fixed and variable is so high, uh, which means that you know any increase in the policy rate is going to be immediately felt by homeowners, uh, which is, of course, not the case if they're in a fixed mortgage. So I do think we're going to have to, and the Bank of Canada is going to have to juggle that and see what impact that has on, on, on households or spending and all of these other factors as well. Uh, John, I know you're a real lost of the realty, primarily in Toronto. When you take a look at that uh, picture across the country, what stands out for you? You know, I, I think, again, it's uh, the, big, the big thing that stands out is just that we've had this national acceleration in house prices. And, you know, not in, I mean, Toronto and Vancouver arguably underperform uh, Canada and, and a lot of these other markets. So we have this, this big acceleration. Uh, in Atlantic Canada, in Northern Ontario. And I think the key thing is going to be how those those prices hold up. I mean, especially when we consider the fact that in a lot of these smaller markets, um, you know, prices have gotten out of reach of a lot of the local people who live there, largely because, you know, the Toronto buyers and Vancouver buyers came in with lots of capital, lots of income uh, and pushed prices up. So I think it'll be important to look at how some of these smaller markets are going to hold up over the next 18 months or 24 months. Were you surprised to see what happened in the uh, recreational market during the uh, course of the pandemic? You know, it's it's actually a great question. I mean, it's not entirely surprising. So there's two things that drove that. One were investors, right? Um, Investors who really kind of were on top of this very quickly and realized that they're going to have a hot commodity if they buy a a cottage because people can't go anywhere. Um, And and the returns, like the investment returns for, for cottages, are probably like the best performing real estate asset in Canada right now. Like when we look at the income that they can generate, even if they're only occupied, you know, a third of the year, uh, they're still outperforming. So, I mean, that was interesting and not surprising. What was surprising was the demand from end users who are just looking at permanently moving to cottages uh, and making sort of these, these, this rural environment their, their, uh, you know, their next home. And I think that's going to be an interesting trend as well to see. You know what? What? How people like living in the cottage four months of the year because it's a lot nicer, obviously, in July and August than in <laughs> January. John, ultimately, when you take a look at other cities around the world, we often talk about you know the comparisons of our square footage versus New York versus London. You know, and then, and then of course you get into the other arguments with respect to income, et cetera, cost of living, and all of that. Uh, wh- where do you see us headed ultimately, and and how do we fare with respect to other metropolitan city- cities? So, I mean, house prices in Canada have definitely uh, outpaced when we look at the rate of acceleration in house prices. They've outpaced, you know, pretty much all the other uh, developed countries over the past even ten years or so. 
Um, and, you know, it's going to be really hard to see how this moves forward. And I think that's going to be one of the interesting trends. A lot of sort of the pre-construction purchases we're seeing in the condominium market, for example, uh, are based on this expectation that condo prices are going to keep rising 10% a year. Um, and they almost needs to for those investments to make sense. And I think if they don't, um, you know, and it's, and it's hard to see how prices can keep rising at 10%. Already, if you're making 100, 120, 30, 150, $30,000 a year as a household, uh, which is well above the median, you pretty much can't buy a home in the GTA. Like, it's just like, it's just not, there's nowhere to buy. I mean, you can't, based on the, the mortgage that you can qualify for, even if you save $70,000, dollars $80,000, there's really nothing in your price range. So it's hard to see how we can kind of keep seeing the rate of growth we've seen over the past 10 years continue. I think we should see some stability going forward. John, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Thanks for having me.